Welcome to the Culture of Kindness podcast. Have you wondered about the direction the world is going? Wondered if you and the rest of the world are connecting in a healthy way? I can see it in others, and now I've changed the lens through which I see the world, and to be kind is the only possible result. Because you, you don't have the language of talking, it's kind of almost a language of kindness. In this podcast, we discuss everything from what makes a brilliant leader to where is the world going on our current trajectory and how can we make a culture of kindness and do we actually need to or are we doing all right just as we are? It's roughly 2,000 years since some bloke got nailed to a tree for suggesting that we should all be a little bit nicer to each other. And I fear that over the last 2,000 years we haven't moved on very far from that. Inherently, humans are very badly flawed. And there, there is... I, Nahala Summers, became obsessed about the power of kindness after it was the kindness of a stranger that changed my life. So now I am lucky enough to talk to the most eclectic mix of people, probably on any podcast. Come inside and subscribe. It will open your mind and world up to the best examples of living life wholeheartedly. When you look on the Facebook, even when you look in the comments on BBC, everyone goes, oh, I hate bullies. But then that's like saying, I hate water. You know, bullies have come from somewhere. And what was going tap on my shoulder from somewhere that said, you cannot just do an act of kindness in a day and that be good enough. Before we go to the full episode, I just wanted to jump in and let you know that the Culture of Kindness Leadership book is available right now on Amazon. It's getting brilliant reviews because it is a practical support for any leader organisation looking to make a more successful workplace. And who doesn't love that? To find out more about what we offer, go to www.aculturaofkindness.co.uk. Thanks so much for listening, folks, and supporting this podcast. And if you love it, please do share it with your networks. Pathik, you are so welcome on A Culture of Kindness podcast. Thank you so much for making the time for me today. Um, I guess the first thing that we start off with is just share a little bit about who you are and uh, and what makes you happy. Thank you, Nahala. And I just want to say thank you so much for inviting me on. I remember we met at Stacey Hill's Supper Club, Silver Boots Supper Club. Was yeah. it in May? Was that in May or was it June? I can't remember exactly when it was. It was um, definitely the summer and it was... It was definitely, it was definitely summer, that's right. A, yeah. a what, a, what a fantastic event, right? It was, wasn't I, it? Yeah. I feel like we should now tell people what that was about. Like, before you tell us about you, you share about Stacey and her story and uh, you share that. So Stacy is a mutual friend of ours, and um, she was a, a fashion lecturer. Uh, her husband, Greg Gilbert, um, a musician, an artist, is the, who's the lead singer with the delays. Hmm. Um, and I guess Silver Boot started when Greg was diagnosed with cancer, and, and it came out of the blue. 
and it was a real shock. And I think the purpose of silver blue silver boots, so the, the the significance of silver boots, um, as as I as I know the story, is that Stacy had always wanted silver boots, and but she'd never gone she'd never got round to actually buying them and wearing them because it was the kind of thing that you think. It's this kind of not impossible fantasy, but the thing that you think you'll do in five years or ten years. You know, it's not something that you should indulge in. Mm. And I think think Greg's diagnosis and everything that followed through that and taught her and the lesson she wanted to share. I think with with people, her friends, and and, and the wider society was you can't defer things because you just don't know what's gonna what's gonna be around the corner. Absolutely. You may never get to wear the silver boots. Yeah. So if you want to wear the silver boots, wear the silver boots now. And so, and I think Absolutely. the whole... And then we all went brilliant. to supper. And so we all went to supper. Fear. She said a question for us, didn't she? She said, um, what is it that you haven't done because of fear? Is yes. That, is it yes. The kind of the, the summary of it. Um, yes. We all kind of had to share that at the table over supper. Yes. Yeah. And that was, I, I know we were, we were sitting in the same end, right? I think Nahalo and, and us, I know you were slightly more into towards the, the middle, but we had some similar conversations and just the people I got to talk with and obviously your story was so inspirational and it made us, I think, I think your story was, was was a little bit different in some ways because it felt as though you'd already found your your silver boots mm-hmm. and you were slightly further down the journey, which was great for the rest of us who actually were nowhere near. Um, <laughs> and you're going to make us feel okay. This is this is a story. This is a woman who's done this, who's who's been doing some really incredible things, which you, which again, which felt like the kind of things you would do if you weren't afraid, mm-hmm. but. But so much of society is about conditioning us to, to instinctively go with fear. Mm. And I think Jim Carrey says, as you know, fear disguised as pragmatism. Mm. So you know, the, the, the pragmatic choice is yeah. often um, is what it presents itself as. But, but pragmatism is, is actually just our, our fear instinct talking to us. Mm. Um, and so what, what I really, what I, I took away from from the supper club was firstly how many people have the same mentality that there are things we want to do but we fear doing them and that fear is driving us and but 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 equally that the things that people are scared of when they articulate them to other people you you start to realize well actually that that doesn't sound so impossible that doesn't sound so unreasonable it sounds like something you could do um and so Giving voice to it, I think the beauty of Supper Club was meeting people who you could say these things to, who you probably only said these things to yourself, right, in your head. Yeah. But by giving it that oxygen of conversation, it became, everything became more possible. And I think we all walked away from that thinking, okay, I think I can do this. Because mm. other people would just say, would listen to it and and see the possibility there, and um, whereas you just hear or feel the impossibility. 
yeah. So, so that for me was what, yeah. That, so that was the supper club, and that's where we met um, yeah. all those months ago. Absolutely brilliant. And I think there are applications uh, happening all the time, so it's worth looking up Stacy Hill to have Ooh. that experience. It was a fantastic experience, and uh, and the art show, and yeah. Anyway, the art anyway, show. Yes, yes, we, yes. We could fill <laughs> fill a whole podcast about Stacy. I'm sure we could. Uh, the Stacy Hill <laughs> fan club could have its own <laughs> podcast. I, I, I definitely want to do that. Yeah, yes. absolutely. Um, so tell us about you and and what makes you happy and, and a little bit mm. about yourself. You know, it's interesting, Hala, because the things that make me happy, I've only started to realise. And uh, so I'm 42 now. Uh, I have uh, a lovely, supportive, generous, um, beautiful soulmate of a wife and a, a soulmate of a son who's six years old who is in many ways my best friend and um and they're my I w- I'm not going to say they're my world because actually I think there's a lot of danger when people say these things about their immediate loved ones because that can uh, that can I, th- I think sometimes we become quite insular about our families and forget the wider circle and community that we're connected to but they're very very important to me um but my work is is also very important to me, and, um, and so I am the director of the University of Southampton Social Impact Lab, and we our mission is to nurture students to become world class leaders for sustainable social change, mm-hmm. and um, it and a lot of the work and the work kind of started because I I realised that students and young people more generally have a different approach to the world than we do and certainly that I had and so I'm you know I I grew up as I think a lot of people in my generation did conditioned by pressure to go into quite narrow professional channels because of status of salary because of social pressure and family pressure and and as a as someone as a British Asian that culture is incredibly fierce <laughs> and um there's you know you're either a doctor an engineer a lawyer um and if you're not any one of those then you're automatically classed as a failure yeah and so and and it was very difficult to then uh express yourself and to find and to listen to to your inner voice um and to try things beyond beyond those very set and um, constraining paths and choices. Mm-hmm. So the thing that I've realized now is, is, is young people, they're very driven by, by fixing the world. And mm-hmm. they're, very, they're far more aware that the systems we have are broken. And the way we do things, including just our culture. So I think there are there are there are very there there are two there are two areas where I think young people are very well tuned in. The first is that all of our systems, food, uh, water, work, um, relationships, um, the way we use technology, politics, it's all broken, and actually it's been broken for a very very long time. Uh, but relatedly, and I think the thing that's really relevant for this podcast is that it's broken in part because the way that we that those that we run those systems. So we often think of these systems as very uh, abstract or very independent and objective, but actually they are created by by people, and 
it's people who drive those systems. It's people who keep those systems functioning or not functioning, depending on your on your perspective. So if we can change the way that we work together and we change the way that we view problems, but we also view what it means to genuinely be collaborative, genuinely be empowering, genuinely be um, collegial and kind, yeah. I think those systems then kind of kind of all automatically kind of take care of them themselves because you realize it's not a competition. Yeah. It's this isn't this isn't and the world isn't a zero sum game where if we if we're kind to one group of people, it means there's less for other people. I think young people are really are moving away from that idea and they almost almost instinctively, and I don't really know where that comes from, understand that the world is not like that. It is not a zero sum game. Mm. And that we can all thrive and we can build an economy and a society where everyone can uh, flourish, everyone can can thrive. So my mission is really giving students the skills, the platform, the knowledge, the opportunities to go out and build that world. Absolutely incredible work. Um, Never been more needed, I think. I really, what I find really interesting is that you talk about the young people that they instinctively know that they're already Mm. coming in going, there's so much wrong with this. You know, I, I talk about it in my writing about, you know, our political system started in the 12th century or something like that you know right. we still have yeah. two people on two sides of a room arguing with each other because and they're a sword width apart and yes that kind of yeah. says how very old and antiquated the system is but we as a society are completely different you know mm. um to what we were back then when it was mm. more suitable i guess i don't know yeah. i guess it hasn't always been broken um because it was the one of designed it that way but yeah but there is something and what i i particularly like about the work that you're doing is you're helping them to say yes these are the doors that you can start to go through to get there really yeah 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 exactly and and i think that the the work i think that so so the the work is is important for me because there are some people who automatically get that and have opportunities. And one of the things I've come to notice over the past five years uh, has been that there are, there are some groups of young people who have access to opportunities, have parents who instinctively themselves, because of the way that they've been raised and conditioned and have had those opportunities, and know that those opportunities exist, know that these are the skills you need to, to flourish. But there are others who don't have that because of uh, the fact that they may not have gone to schools with the right resources. They may not have access to effective and nourishing peer circles um, or a wider community. And so part of, part of the mission, as well as helping all students, in particular, we're really interested in those students who maybe don't, don't have the um the resources and the kind of we, we call it the social capital but also the human capital to be aware of the opportunities which are out there and so they're really our focus too and because i think it's the students who've got lived experience of um disenfranchisement of a lack of privilege of a lack of kindness in their lives they're the ones who i think could be the ones who are best placed to fix it yeah um, uh, so yeah that's a very that's a very important part of the, the mission too 
Mm. Yeah, when we understand what unkindness looks like, Mm. we've seen both sides. You know, I think sometimes it doesn't mean that if somebody's had a life of kindness and privilege that they don't understand um, the other side. But Mm. when you understand both sides, you can see um, how you can make positive change permanently for people, can't you, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So... I just want to understand you have really kind of two sides to your work because there's like one part that's obviously your paid work and one part that's kind of your your social side is that right it's all mostly it's part of my job it's all part of my it's my full-time job is to run the social impact lab a lot of what we do a lot of what I do on top of that is voluntary so Mm. I mentor a lot of young people outside of my time Um, and in particular I, like, I, I love to mentor young social entrepreneurs and I just wanted to flag a couple, uh, a few few who have been doing some incredible work, so if that's okay. So, um, yeah, yeah, do it. One is, one is Emily Smith and she's a student who is really passionate about clothes and really passionate about, um, about sustainability and the planet. And, and again, you know, I think that combination of things, uh, people who are interested and passionate about fashion and the planet, is a combination that is quite is is part of that new generation. Yeah. Um, you know, you used to have people who were passionate about fashion and people who were passionate about the planet, but often it wasn't it didn't coexist in one person. Um, and but now that's happening. And so Emily has started a fantastic enterprise called Zvich. So Zvich is kind of like Tinder for clothes. Um, and the idea about about Zvich is that you. So she really, she she wants to make secondhand clothes swapping sexy, and she wants to make it appealing and something that is convenient, as convenient as Tinder, you know, as convenient as any of our of, of our online apps. And so the the premise is that you you um, she Emily articulated better than I can, but she says we we typically have have our wardrobe is comprised of three elements. So there's our the clothes that we wear all the time. And the clothes that we love, then there's the clothes that we don't want that we actually don't mind giving away, and there's this this messy middle of clothes that we don't feel particularly strongly about, and we wouldn't mind if they were swapped out. So on the Switch app, you upload pictures of the clothes you'd like to swap, and when you find someone who's got uh, a piece of clothing that you'd like, if you match with them, then you then meet offline in person and you swap that item of clothing. Brilliant. And it's and it's that simple, right? And you kind of think, why didn't I think of that? Why hasn't this happened before? And it's but it's absolutely brilliant. Um, and so Zvichy is, is 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 you know I think as this this is part of this movement of a a business that is looking to solve important problems and business that is not just interested in solving. Um, problems which no one really no one really thought there was a problem for it you know and I always when I talk to my students I, I talk about things like Snapchat and I say well you know if you think about Snapchat or TikTok or any of these these apps that actually I've used you know very once or twice but I couldn't really understand what they're for mm. and, in, and in reality they're solving a problem that didn't exist you know no one needed no one needed an app that had self-deleting posts there was no purpose for that. Self-deleting posts have no isn't solving a problem that no one really has. No. Um, <laughs> but people are paying attention to this, and they're devoting resources to it. And if we think about all of the all of the things in our economy 
that people devote time and resources to, we don't need them to be doing that. These are very smart people who, you know, the best minds of our generation are there to click through adverts. And we don't need more click through adverts. We need people who can tackle our big, our big social challenges. Yeah. And, um, and another student who's doing something very, sim- kind of very similar, part of the sharing economy is on the circular economy is Cade Abraham. And he uh, started a, um, an enterprise called Utopia. Um, and it is basically, he calls it Netflix for things. So he, it's, it's like a physical library of things. And if you're in a, in a, in a kind of communal building, like, um, a halls of residence or flats, um, uh, or a housing association, you can, they have, they have like a central locker and, and using the app, you can identify things that you might want to share or things that, sorry, things that you, you probably don't need all the time. Like, for example, you know, a lawnmower or um, hair straighteners and you can then borrow them. And so what he's trying to do is just reduce our consumption because we tend to, we, we, we buy a lot of things and we buy them, but we don't use them on a, on a daily basis or even a weekly basis. So if we had more of a sense of, of community sharing, then we'd A, reduce our consumption, um, which is good for the planet. It'd be good for our pockets because we're not all buying things that we use you know, two or three times a year. But it also then fosters that community engagement, right? And, that, and it's, so it kind of goes back to that, that thing of it isn't just what we tackle, the problems we choose to tackle, it's, it's how we do it. And so if you can tackle some of these big social challenges like fast fashion, like overconsumption, but at the same time, you're actually building community as you're doing it, then you are building a culture of kindness. You're building a culture of um, compassion and a culture of sharing. So you know, these are the kind of initiatives that students are starting because they're seeing, they're seeing that there are now the tools, um, the business models, as well as the demand for these, these new ways of remaking our economy. Do you know what? I'm absolutely blown away. I just love those. I mean, that's just two examples. I'm sure that you have mm. uh, pockets of them. Um, yeah, yeah. Your time and your volunteering and your work. I mean, you look at Emily Smith's, for example, mm. and what she's done is she's brought technology in, but mm. then she's also made there a human connection because, I mean, I guess if you live in the same town as somebody, you meet mm. with them and you swap out your clothes. Now, yeah. that's smart because one of the things I always say is around technology, you know, when do we still bring it back to ourselves you know use technology absolutely but we still need to kind of have human to human contact because that releases all the happy hormones you know like kindness right we're kind and we have that interaction you know our bodies react um in a hormonal way and Mm. in in a good way so i find it fascinating that they're already kind of taking that awareness of you know you look at Cade's example you know sort of mm. about sharing about kindness about thinking god i feel good about myself because i'm sharing this thing that i have yeah 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 exactly you're right and that and that i think is the is the way that technology can help to to not get i guess gamify is not the right word but 
but it can help to kind of form a different kind of addiction or and a different kind of um, rush that you do get from that hormonal rush from sharing and from and from doing something for someone else as well as for yourself. And technology, you know, it, obviously it can take us in very dark places, oh, yeah. but it and it isn't. It, it isn't obviously it can't take us. It can't. It can't. Um, it isn't the solution itself, but applied in the right way, I think we're seeing applications of technology which, which can be transformative, especially when you combine it with wider social movements um, and, and a lot of, especially where it can incentivize that offline, real-time human connection. So it's very, it's very encouraging. And I think that there's been a lot of doom and gloom, um, and you know, rightly so, you know, that we, we shouldn't be, we shouldn't be, um, shouldn't downplay the, the some some of the despair around our political landscape, but it's also very important that we we don't we we also take the time to acknowledge the kind of the the green shoots of recovery that are already there. And regardless of what happens in politics, society is moving in the right direction. I think, mm. and um, politics just has to catch up. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think that is it's about. You know, if we constantly focus on what we haven't got, mm. then we just get more of that, you know. And yeah. I think f- by focusing on, you know, as you are, the youth and the ideas that are coming from them um, is the way that we see those green shoots, you know, become trees, really. Yeah. And, um, yeah. and kind of solidify themselves in our society more. Yeah, absolutely fascinating. I mean, I guess you've kind of answered it, but where do you see this future becoming? You know, and there's a really interesting story actually. I I heard from a guy who'd been filming the um, his uh, his holiness the Dalai Lama, and he um, said that when he when all these leaders were asked what do they think will happen in fifty years, everybody answered except for his Holiness, who said, well, I, I have actually no idea. I don't even know what I'm mm. having for my tea. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> However, yeah. I am going to ask you that question and say, you know, <laughs> where do you see it, the future becoming? Um, and what do you see happening? I think, it's a, I think it's a tricky one. I have to admit that I... So the things, if you'd asked me, and probably most people, in 2015... Would you have foreseen the world in 20, 2019 as it is now? And kind of, you know, on the brink, in, in climate crisis, um, with the rise of authoritarianism around the world, the, ri- the, rise, the rise of nationalist movements around the world. Um, would any of us really predict, have predicted that? I don't, I don't think so. So I think that, I don't, and I, I, get, and I have to say, I don't, I don't really know. I have great hope because of the young people that I see, but I'm also very conscious that I work in a bit of a bubble and that the young people I see are, are young people with a certain um, ideological bent and ha- of a certain, have a certain commitment and are left wing. And so there are young people who probably don't share that perspective. So it's, um, you know, you only see the world that you're exposed to. And, and part of the, the problem with the world we live in now is we're certainly that we, that echo chamber uh, is, so, is so constraining. Uh, we really don't look beyond 
what what we have in front of us and we don't look for evidence that can contradict our own opinion and, and our own perspective which is which is a really da- dangerous thing you know and um so i say that because it's very well and good for me to be optimistic because what i see is optimistic and very encouraging but i also know that there are there are young people who have very different have had very different experiences um and there's a lot of incumbent power in the world and so it's very it's it's really difficult to um to make predictions but what i do know is i believe we you know we have to be it's a cliche but we have to be the change that we want to see in the world yeah. and and i see and i see lots of people of my generation of younger generations and of older generations who all believe the same thing yeah and so we 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 create the society that we want and we can do that and if we can't do that at a national level at a supranational level we can certainly do it at a local level and we can do it at you know an urban level and and so i like to say let's focus in a really short term look let's just have a short term um goal a short term objective and vision of where we want to be maybe not in 5 years but just in 6 in 6 months or 3 months what is it that we can what can we do that's concrete mm-hmm. that can help to contribute to the world we we want to build um because i think organically it just sets in chain uh it sets in motion a chain mm-hmm. and things will then follow so rather than thinking rather than thinking you know to that, at that larger level the things we just can't control let's focus on the things we can control in a time horizon we can control um because again you know going back to stacy i guess it's it's you you can plan for 5 years or 10 years um but you don't know if we're going to be here in 5 years or 10 years but we we're, we're here now yeah. and and it's what we do right now that that matters Yeah, I did a talk about this last night weirdly enough and about the power that one person has on the world and you know in we all have a power. You know, I I I talked about it in the fact that you know if you stand on a street corner and you look up at the sky, people will come and look up with you and wonder what you're looking at. People follow yeah. people, you know, um and yes. you know you yeah. look at greta for example and what she's yeah. done you know people have followed she's only yeah. one person and yeah. you know you can say that oh well you know she got media attention but it one person has an influence you know one act of kindness mm. and i talk about you know sunshine people and and people yeah. who don't know that story but that started with 10 minutes of kindness from a stranger on a beach and now we've raised yeah. thousands and thousands of acts of kindness many years later yeah um you know you look at barack obama fired up and ready to go you know his campaign yes. slogan and that started from a woman in a in a church hall or effectively from a church uh, a kind of a town hall meeting with 20 people in it it became the slogan and what really won the campaign um with that mm. whole theory and made them feel better he said you know i felt better throughout the mm. campaign even though we weren't winning and even though it just wasn't working he said i used that slogan and we and we used it with all of those things you know tiny things that then snowball and um it really is what what yeah. you want to do and put out into the world and um you know i talk about this in this kind of we we almost have to set the rules to say what's acceptable you know we yeah. know the only way that we rule out unkindness 
is by saying it's actually not acceptable. This is what unkindness looks like. We as a society will not accept this. We're just not going to have it anymore. Mm. Um, And then when we do that and we rule it out, it stops it from happening. A little bit like drink driving, you know, although it was illegal, Mm. people were still doing it. It was illegal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Still society said, we will not accept this as a behavior. Mm. And people were made to feel, no, 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 hang on, what are you doing? You know, you'd be called out in the pub. People would call people out and say, no, I'm Mm. sorry, but... You, you know, I'm going to take your keys away or whatever. Yeah. Um, and mm. it's only when that starts to happen. And, and what I love about it is, you know, from Emily and Kate and all of those stories is the youth are saying, no, we're not going yeah. to accept it. Yeah. And that's really when we start to see real change, when people don't accept certain behaviours. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. What I... I can't believe we're already running out of time back a couple quick (laughs) questions but um what's the legacy that you want to leave um with the work that you do across you know both your mentoring um and your main work what do you Mm. want to leave behind Hmm. so I definitely think there is that there is a sense of let's focus on the problems that matter let's not be distracted by the way that our incentives are aligned at the moment, which you know, drive us towards solving problems that don't matter. Let's ensure that our talent, and all of our talent, including untapped talent, un- untapped potential, is going towards solving our big social and environmental challenges. Mm-hmm. That's one thing. Let's ensure that people have the right tools um, and technology to help solve it. Let's ensure that we do it in the right way and that, and that the, the methods we use, the uh, cultures that we create are, are cultures that are empowering, that facilitate um, growth. But I think the other thing that I, you know, I think is really important is, is this notion of uh, is how, we, is how we think about kindness, especially when we're nurturing people. And uh, it's something that I, I think about a lot. So... I think there's a real danger sometimes that we have a very simplistic idea of culture as just being nice and of just being nice and that and that in and of itself being um, and that can be slightly reductive and so I'll give you give you a few examples of this so I, I, I think personally that what we need is we don't just need leaders for sustainable social change but we need world-class leaders for sustainable social change mm-hmm. so if this is a field you want to go into um, which you know everyone we should all be working towards this then you have to be really good at it you know we need people who aren't mediocre who who aren't half committed but are fully committed and are fully committed to actualizing their best selves and producing their best work and sometimes that means kindness can manifest itself in in radical honesty towards someone and i think some of the things i've seen especially working with with less privileged young people is that people have not had the kindness to say to them, you need to improve here, and have not had the courage to know how to, how to do that. And, um, and one of the, I think, the challenges in, in, in education, especially in higher education at the moment, is that there is um, a real hostility to feedback. 
and a real fear of feedback. And I think, and I think it is about kindness because I think if you care about someone and if you really you want to lead with love, then if you, and if you love someone, yeah. you know, in and in in a very platonic way, in a very professional way, you want to see that person reach their full potential, yeah. and that means radically being honest enough to say, I know what you're capable of. You know, I've seen you working. I know I have. I know who you could be. And what you're doing at the moment is not where you, what you should be doing is not where you can be. Mm. Um, and I think there is a great deal of, um, and I think it's, it's an act of kindness to say to someone, I think you can be better. I think you can do better because we need to be better, all of us. And, and we all need to raise our standards. And uh, one of the things I think has plagued higher education for a long time is, and partly you know, this is a function of the way that, our sector has been marketized is that students, lecturers and teachers are afraid of giving honest feedback and students don't know how to receive it. Mm. So they take it as criticism. Um, and sometimes, and again, that links very much to the way that you give that message. Um, but if you're doing it in the spirit of love and you're doing it in the spirit of, I believe in you, I know what you're capable of, I believe in your mission, then there should be no hesitation in saying, this just isn't good enough. There's an area where I think you can improve. This skill can be, can be refined. This is how I think you should do it. Mm. So I think part of, my, part of the, um, the mission for me is holding that tension productively mm. of really caring for people, but really wanting them to self-actualize. And, and through that process, um, going through go, going through a dialogue which is rooted in radical honesty and and love, um, so yeah, if I can if I can do any of that, that 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 would be something I'm, I'm proud of. Yeah, yeah, it's so true. I mean, my final question is always, what does a culture of kindness mean to you? And and mm. and I'm going to ask that, but you summarised yeah. it so well, actually. Um, I guess I'll, I'll ask you now, what does a culture of kindness mean to you? And then I'll kind of talk about some of your work. Yeah, so I think, I think it is starting with the premise that everyone you meet is a potential friend, ally, comrade, mm-hmm. change maker, and, and someone, and, and a human being as well, rather than just, you know, a function in the system. And when you do that, then you realize you're, then you're invested in that person, I think. And you're invested in making that person be the best they can be. And partly you do that by, by making them feel good. Why would you want to make people feel bad? Why would, why would you think that is a way to encourage people? Mm-hmm. But when you do that, I think, I think um, you then have a duty to be radically honest with that person. Mm-hmm. Um, to praise them to the skies when they do fantastic work, but when they fall short, to be to be to say to hold them to one side, to put your arm around them if need be, and just say, you know what, you're better than the work you produced, yeah. and and to and, and also to separate what they've done from the person, because I think, and again, and this is really about I think the big transformational change is that we tend to take everything so personally, yeah. but in reality, when we do good work. We do good work because of the teams we have around us and the people who have enabled us. And when we don't do good work, um, 
there isn't it isn't just on your shoulders it is because you know something has gone wrong and you are not solely responsible for it but we can always we can always improve and so trying to depersonalize that i think is really important um and say so, so so i think a culture of kindness is really is 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 treating everybody as a potential friend yeah and and ally and once you once you do that i think everything follows absolutely you know it's really interesting you're talking about you know that honesty people often misunderstand when i talk about culture of kindness they misunderstand that you know it's it's just all about um being nice and acts of kindness to each other but it's not it's so much more than that it's about Mm. holding the space being honest saying Mm. you know this isn't working right now let's find a way to make it work you know within Mm. workplaces not sending somebody out the back door because it's no longer working but finding the right position for somebody and and just having as you say um looking at everyone as though they're an ally and and a friend and somebody that you would want to support and why would you ever want to do anything different um so yeah no I couldn't uh couldn't agree more I just love it um your work is incredibly important right now and and for our futures um I certainly will be following what you're doing and thank you so much um for what you do and thank you for your time today as well we've come to the end we've probably gone over I don't care um, <laughs> it was too good a conversation and um and yeah I look forward to following your work in the future thank you so much Nahala thank you so much and if anyone is interested in our work then if I could just do a little plug yes um, yes absolutely we're, people all want to follow for sure we're on Facebook at University of Southampton Social Impact Lab so you can you can join there and as well as opportunities for students and and young people we have resources and case studies of social impact leaders uh, and we upload all of our we have a speaker series um, we have lots of opportunities for, for people to learn and to contribute and we, we want to grow our family and if kindness is your thing and growing a culture of kindness is your thing then we would love um, for you to, to join us too so Nahala thank you so much for your time it's been uh, and for the opportunity to speak it's been it's been wonderful speaking to you and I'm such a huge fan of the work that you do um, so it's been wonderful to Um, to be on the podcast so thank you very much no worries thank you so much have a great day thank you you too bye thank you so much for listening to this week's episode whether you're a ceo or department manager you can build a more productive profitable and engaged workforce through adopting the theory laid out in my latest book available on amazon aptly also named A Culture of Kindness. It will guide you on how to be the type of leader that every employee remembers for all the right reasons. You can also subscribe to the monthly newsletter at www.nahalasummers.com to hear more about the latest talks, courses and upcoming podcast episodes. Thank you.